Hello, I'm Sheila Virapan, and you're listening to the Aberdeen Sustainability Inspired Podcast, discussing all things relating to sustainability and responsible investing. I'm delighted to have with me as my guest, David Atkin. David is one of Australia's most experienced and senior executives in the Australian pension industry. He is best known for being the CEO of CBAS, the Construction and Building Union Superannuation Fund, which is also one of the largest pension funds in Australia. Under David's leadership, CBAS was the first fund to adopt the integrated reporting framework where CBAS was able to tell its members and other stakeholders how it had created um, value for them. Growing up in PNG, he is comfortable with the tropics and he doesn't mind the heat and humidity. He is an avid music lover. He has over 3,500 CDs. He's also very interested in the parrot species around the world from an early age. David started his career in the trade union movement, which may seem unusual now that he's the CEO of the Principles of Responsible Investment, the PRI. So for this podcast, we're going to explore how did he end up in sustainable investing? Was it coincidental or intentional? So David, hello. Thanks, Sheila. Glad to be able to join you today. So I'm going to start off with a really interesting question. When you're not running companies, you used to be a long-distance runner, and sustainable investing is often associated with marathon running. Do you see any similarities between the two? Um, And what are the personal characteristics you think one should have to continue running in the sustainable investing race? Thanks, Sheila. Yeah, no, that is an interesting question. Uh, And yes, uh, I uh, have been a long distance runner. My knees these days don't quite let me do the distances that I'd like. Um, But look, if there is an analogy there, it would be, you know, when you're running, uh, you're, you start out and you just try to get everything warmed up and get into the rhythm. Uh, that's a bit like, you know, when you begin your uh, learning pathway as a responsible investor, um, you know, you've got good intentions, you want to, you've got a direction you want to head to, um, but you're learning in the process. So it's, it can be a bit of an uncomfortable period first up as you start to sort of put together your approach to, uh, to responsible investment. Then you get into a rhythm and then you feel like you could run fast forever uh, as you get your rhythm in place. But you know that when you get uh, to certain points, particularly in a marathon, that your body is going to start screaming at you. Uh, and so you've got to find ways in which you can just um, push through that, uh, uh, those difficulties. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the very end and it's a sense of satisfaction. Um, and so I guess the parallels for sustainable investing, uh, responsible investing, is that this is a long-haul process. Uh, and, and we should also recognise that the responsible investment uh, field is still new. I mean, what we're talking about is reimagining the way we think about value and the balance sheet that's been occurring over the last 15 or 20 years. I mean, effectively, we are building the plane while we are flying it. And so as a consequence, there's mistakes, we're learning uh, different ways, there's, um, you know, everything is not working perfectly um, in sync. And that's the experience of people operating in the sustainable finance field at the moment. Um, But I think personal characteristics would be resilience, 
uh, would be keeping an eye on the long-term goals uh, and not being uh, put off by obstacles being put in front of you. Uh, solve them uh, and just know that your objectives are worthwhile pursuing. And the final thing that I will say is uh, the thing about a marathon is it doesn't really matter what time uh, it takes you to finish it, it's about finishing it. And everyone needs to be on this journey uh, where we, we effectively we ensure that the world we uh, live in and the world that we um, uh, are working in is one that's sustainable and is, enables our uh, customers, our uh, beneficiaries to have the lifestyles that they want to live. Uh, and uh, so just make sure you keep that in mind when you're, when you're operating in the field. There is a long-term positive value for, for the work that you do. No, that's really very helpful. I think the key word for me is resilience, right? Because you can really get bogged down with all the noise that's happening in the industry. At the same time, the industry has grown tremendously. It's become what we would say mainstream within the whole investing side of things. And there are many different areas of sustainable investing. So you've got ESG integrated, you've got impact investing, and you've also got corporate sustainability in your opinion, do you think it's helpful for a new joiner in the industry to start focusing on a specific area or should they start off as a generalist and just tipping their toes in bits and pieces? Uh, I think either is is fine. It just It's kind of, um, it's whatever works for you. I mean, if I just take my own personal experience, you know, I came into this industry uh, not with any particular finance training or sustainability um, background. Um, I was very lucky to join uh, the, the superannuation industry, the pension industry in Australia at a time where it was emerging out of being a cottage industry. Uh, and I was in an environment where... Um, everyone did a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So when I started at STA, which was the precursor fund to Australian Super, which is now the largest fund in Australia, uh, it had a team of 20 people. And I worked really closely. I was in a marketing role and uh, worked very closely with the investments team as this sort of interest in sustainability and SRI investing became, you know, was, was a theme at that point and around the turn of the century. Um, but now we're at a t in an industry where specialisation is being more needed. Uh, subject area expertise is really critical. Uh, and so the thing that I would say is just take the opportunities that are there for you to step in and demonstrate uh, that you are thinking contextually and that you are thinking organisationally and that you are thinking strategically. Uh, and so, you know, whether you're in a, in a technical role or in a generalist role, um, they're the sorts of things that I think uh, leaders are looking for from their employees as they come into the industry. Um, look to join the dots. I mean, I think what's interesting about the sustainability field is that, yes, you still need the mainstream financial um, building blocks, but you're also needing to add in a whole lot of new domain expertise as we're trying to solve these sustainability issues where science-based training, engineering, the arts, um, you know, societal issues all become really important factors in determining risk and opportunity um, and also about the solutions. So joining the dots of different domain expertise, I think, is, one, is something that 
uh, is a real need within our industry. And um, if you demonstrate those sorts of inquiring mind attributes, uh, I think you know you'll have a very meaningful and influential career in uh, in sustainable investing. So you've had an illustrious career in the Australian superannuation industry. When you were at CBUS, you were the board member of the PRI, and now you are the CEO. So you've essentially come full circle with the PRI. Um, I guess, has your involvement with the PRI helped you to fully transition to the sustainable investing world? No doubt. Um I mean, I was very lucky to come onto the board of the PRI in the early days. It wasn't at the very beginning. It was 2009. And a responsible investment was just emerging. Uh, I mean, I think it was probably 10 years uh, within the investment community um, as a theme. And so, I mean, I, I guess my role on the board at that time was to help the organisation um, emerge and become a, 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 an organ- a functional organisation supporting its signatories. Uh, and then I was on the board until 2015. Coming back, I've had to um, re immerse myself, immerse myself back into the PRI and uh, to understand the issues that we've, you know, that we've been working on. They, they, the world's become so much more complex. Um, but I've also seen the fantastic outputs from uh, the PRI's engagement with our signatories that, and, and supporting our signatories become better responsible investors. Uh, and so whether it's around climate, whether it's around uh, just transition, whether it's around biodiversity and climate, uh, human rights, et cetera, et cetera, tax, um, these are all important uh, thematics. Now, I'm in no way a subject area expert, but to just understand how the PRI can support its signatories around the issues that are important to them, uh, sort of understanding that over the last 18 months has been uh, fantastic. And I just think there's so much more potential in the way in which we can support our signatories around this thematic going forward. I'm really excited about being here to play that role. I think one of the other things that, that I'm uh, at the PRI is with almost 5,500 signatories, we have to be able to scale up the way we support the work of our signatories. And so as an organisation, we need to... Uh, mature in the way that we make decisions, determine our priorities and identify how to support the diversity of approaches by our signatories across the globe. Uh, And that requires um, a different way of um, approaching the task than we say we would have when we started out, you know, 15 years ago. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. One of the objectives of the PRI is to create and develop a sustainable financial system. So do you believe investors need to push their governments harder to implement the right policies and regulations to support and enable a um, sustainable financial system? So the short answer is yes, Uh, but just let me expand on, on that. So the first thing is that from a PRI perspective, we see our role in three sort of spheres. The first is um, how do we help our signatories become better responsible investors as single institutions? But if you believe in the ESG sustainable finance thematic, you know that these issues um, you can't solve on your own. 
you do need to work together with other signatories on common areas of interest, climate change being the most obvious. So we provide a whole lot of uh, initiatives and places that signatories can work on where they, they are sharing their experience and learning to solve these problems uh, as a group. But then even with working in a collaborative way, um, we operate in a system of rules. I mean, the finance industry is codified uh, and they've not been set up to um, really facilitate responsible investment, although that is changing. Uh, and so the PRI's got a very important role to play in, uh, as we address these systemic risks, seek to engage with policymakers and regulators around the globe to ensure there is an enabling environment for long-term investors, for those who take a responsible investment approach. Um, we've got a very important role to play in bringing a practitioner's perspective in the formulation of these, these, um, uh, these um, uh, regulations. From our own database, we can see that in 2013, we had 300 responsible investment regulatory um, rules or in our database. Um, that's about a 1,000 now. So we're seeing this acceleration of regulation around the globe, and the PRI's got a very important role to play to bring a practitioner's view, but also to uh, encourage governments to reward responsible investors who take a long-term view to value creation. Given that the regulations are becoming more complex and a lot of it started from the UK, the European Union and Australia, do you feel that Asia has the um, opportunity and the possibility to be um, leading in this space, meaning to be able to produce good practitioners who are able to take the lead and um, become leaders eventually? The answer to that, the short answer is yes, again. Uh, I, I think, and, but just to put a bit more sort of um, meat to that, I think the sustainable issues, uh, climate change, the way in which we utilise uh, nature um, uh, to support a healthy world. Um, you know, we've got half the world's population living in the Southeast Asian region. Um, we, we, we solve these problems uh, in, in, in Asia. If we don't get uh, capital working with uh, the public sector in a really focused way within the Asian market, we will not solve these issues. Um, uh, and what I can say is that from my own exposure to um, the APEC region in the, in the last few months, there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of uh, really strong... Uh, investor interest in sustainable uh, investing issues um, and there's also very strong support from the regulatory environment, the regulators. But it's certainly true that the, um, I think the opportunity for uh, within the Asian market is to learn the lessons uh, in other markets around regulation, for example, uh, or in terms of investment strategies and to leapfrog. And I certainly think that um, there's that opportunity in the Asian market for that leapfrogging to occur. And I also see really talented, motivated uh, and thoughtful um, individuals and institutions in the Asian market that are emerging as leaders. 
uh, leaders in their own markets, but I think league, uh, globally. And just to put in a plug, Sheila, we will be having our PRI in person, our annual conference in Tokyo, first week of October this year. And we're looking forward to showcasing leadership in the Asian market in that conference to just highlight the points that I've just made. So just writing on the plug here for our listeners that Aberdeen has sponsored and will be continuing to sponsor our future PRI conferences. And if you want to meet one of our person on the ground, we'll be at the conference um, this year, which is being held at Tokyo. I guess I wanted to um, ask you that the PRI, and like yourself, has come very far. What are the um, biggest ambitions you, you hope to see the PRI achieving? And if you had a crystal ball, what would you wish for, both both in terms of the PRI's development and your own career journey? Oh, well, my own career journey, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, that will take care of itself. Um, uh, I guess what I'm interested in is enabling the PRI to play the truly influential role that it can given its global footprint. I mean, I think what really differentiates the PRI from you know other initiatives around the globe is that we are truly global and we are um, and we crop we cover all of the responsible investment thematics uh, and so we are a tremendous platform to support our signatories uh, to help them uh, reach their goals to become better responsible investors but we can also create the uh, opportunities that convening power to bring signatories to problem solve particular issues that are important to them. There's so much more we can do in this space. And so the consultation that we undertook with our signatories late last year is giving us a very clear read of signatories' appetite, but also their needs. And one of those needs is to recognise regional difference, uh, to recognise there are different ways of approaching responsible investment. There is no one single way. And so, um, uh, and, and that we should be encouraging signatories uh, to um, pro- progress. And so we were looking to introduce progression pathways that are voluntary, uh, that are based on your particular investment strategies and approaches. So this is a way in which I think we can uh, encourage that um, improvement across the sector, but recognising that there are different ways signatories do that if we introduce these uh, progression pathways that are voluntary. That's going to take quite a lot of work to co-design with our signatories. Um, but we'll be uh, undertaking that process over the coming months. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll, con- we'll tailor our programs of support, uh, convene the peer groups that work on, the, on those progression pathways together, and then use our reporting and assessment as the feedback loop that enables our signatories to know that they progressed in the way that they had expected. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I think that's going to be quite impactful for our signatories if we do that. The other things that we're looking to do um, in my time here is to create more um, opportunities for us to promote the good work that's occurring within the sector more broadly. The PRI does not need to generate all of the IP for us to get behind good work. And so uh, we'd be looking to play a role where we can uh, amplify and support other initiatives that are occurring within responsible investment field. Uh, in a way that sort of creates a more cohesive and coherent, um, uh, you know, response from the industry. And then the final thing which we've already talked about is that this opportunity to shape the rules that we operate in 
again, is some something that we'll continue to lean into. So if I can do those three things, Sheila, over the next two or three or four years, I'll be very pleased. But I know that it's eminently achievable uh, based on what we've learned from our syncopies so far. So for our listeners out there, if they're thinking of where to start their career in ESG or sustainable investing, would you say the PRI is a good place to get their hands dirty and to start their career in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, it's the PRI has been a very important um, place that people come to work uh, and develop their careers. Um, our alumni is now, um, you know, uh, reaching, uh, uh, you know, a breadth across the sector. I mean, Sheila, you're one of those. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you worked with us uh, in Australia and, and now you're promoting the thematics around being an ESG investor and responsible investment in your role with Aberdeen. Um, so I think the PRI, I mean, our challenge is that, you know, we... we um, uh, we're a very good training ground for the industry, and we know that uh, good sustainable people, sustainable investing um, personnel is hard to find. Uh, and so, you know, us being able to keep our people working uh, within the PRO is always a challenge. But I mean, it's, it's certainly one of the pleasures is to see how our alumni move on to you know greater roles and and do fantastic things across the sector. That gives us a lot of pride. So we're now at the stage of the podcast where I'm going to ask you for something to inspire our listeners on sustainability. It could be an interesting book that you read or a film that you watch, a mentor, or even a personal experience. So, David, what are you comfortable sharing with the listeners on something interesting? Well, I don't know if this is inspiring, but it was certainly inspiring to me and it was a personal experience. So as I came into the industry uh, as a, uh, in a marketing role at STA, as I mentioned, uh, we were doing some um, research with our members about whether we would introduce an SRI, Sustainable Responsible Investment uh, in option, onto our investment menu. And the STA membership were manufacturing workers uh, and so we did a whole lot of focus groups with our um, our members uh, around, you know, their interest in SRI options. And, you know, the, the pitch was, you know, you could, uh, you could invest in these options in a way that was aligned with your personal values, that was around ensuring that you were looking after, you know, the, you had a you know, the socially responsible aspect, but that there wasn't a trade-off for returns, that this was, you know, additive. That was that was the well, that's what we were testing, and what we got back was people liked the idea, but then they said, "If you, the trustee, believes that this actually is aligned, which is integrating ESG into your investment processes, improves uh, investment performance or protects investment performance, but also enables um, better societal outcomes." Why aren't you including that in the default option? Why are you making me choose? Because you're the experts in super. I'm a manufacturing worker. Um, you know, you can't expect me to really know about all these issues, but I trust you as my institute, my pension fund, to be, to be making those judgments. And so why are you making me choose to go into an investment option when it should be, if you really believe it, integrated into your overall investment strategy and approach? 
And that has stayed with me ever since uh, that, and that was around 2001. Uh, and I guess that was my first epiphany or, I guess, light bulb moment around the importance of this thematic needs to be mainstreamed into your overall investment strategy, into your investment beliefs and your investment practices. Uh, and uh, that stayed with me uh, to this day. Wow, that's interesting. So we are now drawing to the end of our podcast. Perhaps can we touch on one final question? What do you believe will be the next big sustainability team or issue and which the financial industry can play a role in? In other words, what should we be watching out for? There's no doubt that the new frontier of, of or the new, yeah, the new frontier of um, issues that our investors are wanting to step into is this connection between climate, biodiversity and nature. Uh, and so the whole nature thematic uh, is newish for the industry. There's a great appetite to learn more. Uh, there's a great desire to understand how you can incorporate an analysis of nature into thinking about risk, uh, thinking about opportunities. It's hard. I mean, it's it's harder. It's not as neat as climate, as in we know what the number is that you can work back from. Uh, it's much more multidimensional. Um, but the what? But but it's clear that again, you do not solve the climate issue unless we ensure that the uh, we are protecting the, the nature assets of the globe, which have an economic value. Uh, and so signatories, uh, our investors, are wanting to spend much more time on this issue. And so I think the fact that we've got now TNFD being worked on and being released in their first sort of iterations of being released in the coming months is very exciting. But also uh, there's a lot of work to do for investors um, around make, how to incorporate an understanding of the, the risks associated with the, the, the nature aspects of the globe uh, into our investment processes. So that's something that we'll be working on significantly in the, in the coming years. So that's probably the, the main one I would point out, Sheila, is the sort of the, the big next issue of, of, of ESG. So I come to the end, David. Thank you again for being with us today. It has been a real delight to have you with us. Enjoy the conversation a lot um, and hopefully um, your listeners will um, uh, take something out of this and can be inspired with and continue you know, the fine work that you're all doing. So thanks, Sheila. You have been listening to the Aberdeen's podcast, Sustainability Inspires, aiming to help you to get inspired and get involved. To all those who have taken the time to tune in, many thanks for listening. You can find all our podcasts on our website. Tune in to our next podcast where Eva Kane speaks to Sonia Gibbs from the Institute of International Finance to discuss action in finance and policy. Until then, goodbye for now. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research.
The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.